Hello everyone, welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and today is a, actually kind of a special episode because I have two guests with me here today. First, you know him, you love him, Dan the Man from the Radio Free Borderlands Podcast. Hey, hey, hey hold on, when you say it's a very special episode, we're not going to get into some of that like... That, that after-school Christy McNichol type <laughs> stuff, are we? I hope not, because uh, uh, those never those never ended well. No, no, it's not it's not one of those very special episodes. Very special, because it's like you know, and it was funny. Um, actually, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, let's introduce <laughs> the other guest I have, someone who I believe I've actually mentioned every now and then. Um, but this is actually going to be his first time on the show, and that is our good buddy, Jeff. So, long-time listeners to the show, you might remember sometimes when I would talk about my old band from back in college, or when I would talk about, uh, you know, just some of my college years, uh, Jeff was my roommate for a, a little bit in college. Uh, I played in the band that Dan and I were in, and he was a all-around swell guy and friend of ours. How you doing today, Jeff? Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for that. Pretty good. Not too bad. Excited to be doing a podcast. Actually, the first podcast I've ever been on. So, done YouTube for a bit. Have a YouTube channel, but first for a podcast. Don't worry. We'll be gentle. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, now that you mentioned that, the thing with the band, right? I just realized it's like we were the two guitar players and the bassist. We were basically like like the same core as what stuck around with Judas Priest for like 20 years before KK left. <laughs> right. Right. No drummers. Couldn't keep a drummer. Couldn't yeah. keep a singer. But we had two guitars and a bass. Right. We had a thing. Yeah. yeah right. We were, we were kind of like Spinal Tap because, yeah, our drummers kept uh, either disappearing on us or, you know, yeah. or something would happen. Um <laughs> But, you know, it's funny we mentioned how, you know, with Jeff will be gentle, you know, double entendre there and how, you know, the whole very special episode thing, because Dan, Jeff and I are actually old enough where we remember the after school specials back in the day. So those for those of you who t too young to remember, uh, well, they didn't just do this on the after school specials. They would also do this sometimes in primetime shows <laughs> where sometimes they would have a special guest star. Sometimes they would, um, but usually it was supposed to teach you a message in a way that was appropriate for the children. Uh, like the one that I remember the most was Different Strokes. I think okay. it was called like the yes, bikes, yeah. Bicycle Shop. Yeah. Where, yeah, where they had the the plot was the guy who run the ran the uh, the bicycle shop was a child molester. And he took a couple of the kids in the back and gave them wine and let them watch uh, dirty cartoons and play video games and stuff, you know, in exchange for favors. Which, do you guys remember that episode by chance? Or you, you remember some of those? I, I do. And, like, I think the most recent time I saw it, my first thought was, well, now, what's Mr. Carlson doing as the owner of a bike, uh, of a bike store? Shouldn't he be in Cincinnati still? Because the guy who played the bike store, he was Mr. Go uh, was it not Mr. Gordon? Uh, Mr. Carlson from WKRP in Cincinnati. 
Oh, right. Yeah, I, I don't recall seeing it. I know I did watch different strokes, but I, I've heard about that episode. I've heard people reference it mm-hmm. from time to time, but I never don't recall actually seeing that one. The one that amused me the most because it was it was not only so incredibly ham handed, but at the same time, it was such a ridiculous, a ridiculous scenario was the one. It was the very special episode of Saved by the Bell when Jesse gets hooked on. Wait for it. Caffeine pills. <laughs> that, that, I'm so I, excited. I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was good for a laugh. I shouldn't be laughing. Let's that yeah. that I remember. Mm-hmm. You know, and in a way, this kind of actually segues rather nicely into today, today's topic because we're going to be discussing a movie today, one of my all-time favorite movies, which oh, yeah. is definitely not the kind of movie you would see as an after-school special. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> No. (laughs) (laughs) That is the movie Heavy Metal. And I know there was a sequel, Heavy Metal 2000, which I have not seen, but I've heard it's terrible. Doesn't stand up to the original. Uh, Who knows? Maybe we'll talk about that someday. But the Heavy Metal movie we're talking about uh, is actually from a simpler time called The Glorious 80s. And this movie was created by the same people who did the heavy metal magazine. And I remember you mentioned this, Jeff, which uh, to me, when we were discussing uh, about the t- uh, preparing for the topic, you mm-hmm. mentioned it was a French magazine, which I actually, I actually didn't know that it started out as a French publication. It was a French publication. It actually, and I forgot the name. It had a, the name was called metal, metal hurlant. And I guess translated, depending on the source you look at, because I looked it up, it means either howling metal or screaming metal. So it actually didn't mean heavy metal. But yeah, it was a French publication. And one of the artists from it was actually one I really like a lot, who did a lot of storyboards for movies as well, a guy by the name of Mobius. Oh, so yeah, I was like going to mention kind him. Of art, yeah. That guy's awesome. Art. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, the, the most recent things, because I, I don't think they make the magazine anymore, but the last thing I remember reading about the magazine was that it had been purchased by um, Kevin Eastman, I think, owned the rights right. to it, the guy from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, magazines, that's just a hard thing to get back Aaron to succeed. Yeah, especially now, yeah, magazines like that. But, and I, I don't know, did you guys, out of curiosity, ever really, like, read it? Or I, I've looked at a few, and, you know, I, of course I like the art in it. Maybe the stories weren't as strong from what I remember, but I really like the art. You just liked the nudity, right? <laughs> Who didn't? But, uh, but, you know, some of it was really, really good, uh, raw science fiction. This was... You know, think about it. I mean, this was the late 70s, early 80s at the time that the the magazine was really out there. And what you got for science fiction was usually around the lines of, like, say, Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica or, you know, at some point, like the Star Wars movies. They they had a very specific feel and theme about them. 
And and I I feel like there's a lot in that movie that kind of threw that out, or in the in the magazine that just threw that out and and gave an opportunity to show uh, sci-fi in a different light. Yeah, because the thing that was noteworthy about it was it it was erotic. They would often have um stories with very sexual lines. Oh, and yes, before we continue too much further. Uh, in case you haven't picked up on it already, this episode is probably not one you want to listen to with the kids around. But it, it would have, you know, it had nudity, it had sex, uh, it had dark fantasy, dark sci-fi elements, very gritty. Often, the, some of the stories had a lot of violence, a high level of violence. Now, I only saw one episode or one issue of the magazine. Um, a friend of mine. His dad had an issue lying around in the basement, and I paged through it because this was long after I saw the movie, and the only thing I recognized in there, I do remember seeing something with Den of Earth, who will be talking about Den later in the show today. Yeah, I guess Den was a long-running series after the fact. So, the movie, Heavy Metal, was actually released in 1981, and it had some success at the box office, but... Despite the mixed reviews, it had gone on to become a cult classic. And the when the movie, one of the things you'll notice when you watch the movie is the the difference of the art styles. And that's because what they did is, in order to speed up the production time, is they had each they had they actually contracted several different studios to animate the different segments which, again, explains why there's a little bit of a, a style difference. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and you know what? Some of the stuff that they did at the time was considered really um, innovative, especially some of the scenes with Tarna where she's flying. I mean, uh, that kind of animation where, where you know, you're watching the, you know, the, the ground underneath you moving in, in that way, that wasn't something that you saw a lot of back then. Yeah, there was a like mm-hmm. a kind of animation. Well, I was reading about something called rotoscoping yep. that they did. So they did that as well in this. I think they would like trace the um, footage, and like I'm not sure if they would paint on that or how that exactly worked. Mm-hmm. But I know there was it's especially Tarnow where they were rotoscoped. Yeah, well, the end of that one also had the the one scene. There was one scene in that film that was not animated. Oh, the house. The house yeah, when the house blew blew up because they they didn't. I I I had heard different stories. I heard one where they said they didn't have enough money to to animate it. One where they felt like they didn't they they couldn't do it right, so they just used the 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 model example that they had filmed. Yeah, the the rotoscoping the way that works is they'll film someone doing something in live action. Because I remember seeing a behind-the-scenes thing, and yeah, that mm-hmm. that segment in uh, Tarna, one of the last segments where she's putting on her armor and stuff, they filmed a woman actually, you know, doing the motions, and then what they did afterwards is then they, yeah, they drew the, uh, they drew the, the picture over it. So it yeah. it produces very realistic, very fluid animation, but. Yeah, it's from what I understand, it's very expensive and time-consuming, but the end result is worth it. Yeah, it's probably good for action scenes, too, Yeah, I would think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the movie. So, what is your first experience with Heavy Metal, the movie? 
first time I saw that, uh, I guess this is going to be one of those uh, um, um, personal stories. The first time I remember seeing that, it was me and you, Al, and we were over at Ed's house. It was me, you, Ed, and I think Steve and Josh, and we were watching it in his in his 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 parents' family room. And the one of the things I, I specifically remember was 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 Ed constantly looking into the kitchen because the, their family room went right in because he wanted to make sure his mom didn't walk in for obvious reasons. I mean, can you blame him, right? But so you know, it brings back a lot of like those kind of fond memories for me, especially. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I think it was late night flipping through the channels. My parents had just recently gotten cable. I want to say maybe this was about 90, uh, 89 or 90. And, you know, I, all of a sudden, I, I, I'm, it might have been HBO because I think it was on HBO for a bit, mm-hmm. if I could remember correctly. And I remember just looking at it and like, what, what is this? You know, what, what is this? You know, it's a cartoon, but, you know, I hadn't seen anything like it. I was surprised that it was already nearly 10 years old. That kind of surprised me at the time, too. But I, I remember thinking that. And I remember, like, uh, because I had seen Wizards before that. I don't know if you were, yeah, Wizards. And I remember liking Wizards. So I guess a, in a way, it reminded me of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Reminded me of Wizards, sort of. But uh, I actually like this more than wizards i know there were people who were going back and forth online about you know what's better but i prefer this to that <laughs> yeah and my introduction to heavy metal is actually uh pretty much the same as yours jeff um except my parents never had hbo when i was a kid i was uh staying over at my cousin's house during the summer and again they had hbo and he had it in his room and we were just flipping through the channels and we saw there was something, oh, the heavy metal. Well, I liked heavy metal music, so I'm like, hey, let's check this out. And I figure I was probably about 14 at the time. And I remember we were watching it. We were liking it. And then in that the Harry Canyon segment, mm-hmm. when they first showed the, the, the first sex scene in the nudity, I remember my cousin and I turning towards each other like... <gasps> You know, just with our eyes bulged open because <laughs> this is stuff that we shouldn't have been seeing. And I'm sure that we probably made sure the door was either closed or we would like, you know, you know, look at the door just to make sure his parents didn't come in. So, yeah, that actually became one of my favorite movies. And and again, it's not just because of the sex or nudity or the violence. I do think it has some good characters and story in it. So as the movie begins, the first segment is called Soft Landing. And you might remember a while ago, uh, was it Elon Musk had launched his car into space? Mm-hmm. And put the little astronaut in the the seat. And it's like some people actually uh, you know, remarked how that reminded them of the opening of that movie, of heavy metal. I was going to mention when I saw that, I, I figured he did. I figured Elon Musk totally ripped it. And I didn't think it like in a bad way. It was like, you know, it's a tribute to a really fun movie but then they're like oh and he had the radio and it was playing um bowie's uh space oddity and that's when i was like oh what the hell they should have been playing radar rider that's when that comes in the movie uh so then what happens is the car lands and um out comes a a scientist who visits his uh, daughter at their house 
and then uh, that's when we introduce the main plot point of the, the movie, the Lochnar, this glowing green globe. And this is one of the things I always loved about the movie is about how all the segments have that unifying element of the Lochnar, supposed to be this embodiment of evil. Yeah, I actually saw something where they were actually going to do something different, but they deleted it, where instead of like a Lochnar, they were actually going to make it like a carousel. And yeah, I heard that version too. Of Arnab, yeah, she would get on the carousel and it would move around. And as she would move around on the carousel, she would like see the different locations and the different events unfold as she was doing that, but they deleted it. If uh, you ever pick up the the DVD version of it, I mean, I'm sure there's been a couple of re- releases of it, but I know the one I have, pretty sure I still have it. Yeah, they had the deleted scenes, and I remember that too with the carousel. Mm-hmm. So the Lochnar introduces itself and invites it to see the girl to see how it has ruined society and influenced things throughout the years. So that segues into the segment, Harry Canyon, which takes place in New York City in the far-flung year of 2031. Hey, just 10 years away from now. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the things I like about Harry Canyon and is, is the fact that he's not a hero. He had to take kind of this, it was very, it was sci-fi's take on film noir, and Harry was, was, was anything but a hero in the end. He was just just some guy, and a lot of what he did and how he reacted to stuff sometimes felt like, well, that's how most people, most guys would have reacted. Right, yeah, I, I got that sense out of it, too, when I was watching it, when I watched that, you know, segment. Uh, yeah, same thing. Yeah, because uh, what happens in this segment is he encounters a woman who is trying to escape from these gangsters who are from Venus, and... I'm pretty sure that's where they were from. They were from Venus. But uh, we find out that the astronaut from the beginning was on this archaeological dig on another planet where they unearthed the Lochnar. And the Venusians wanted it because apparently they thought it had uh, spiritual powers. So the girl has the Lochnar and she is trying to escape from them. Harry takes it back to their apartment. They plow and... In the end, she decides that she's going to sell them the Lochnar to Rudnick and then split the money with Harry. And unfortunately, she decides she's going to double-cross Harry, which turns out to be a not a very good idea because apparently in the year 2031, all cabs are going to have disintegrator, disintegrator rays in it that will let you disintegrate <laughs> unruly passengers. <laughs> okay, so... What, one of the, the most recent times I watched it, I was watching it with Shannon, and one of the things she remarks at the end of this scene, she goes, wait a minute, how come when the punk rock guy gets disintegrated, he gets, gets disintegrated, and when she does, she gets naked first? Do you really need an answer to that, Dan? <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I, I'm not the one who said it. She said it. I'm like, you know, target audience? Yeah, pretty much. I remember when I saw it with, like, the disintegrator that he had in the car, I was wondering, when I, when I first saw it, I'm like, so does he have, like, a Lochnar in there, too? You know, like, like some mm-hmm. kind of mini? You know, I didn't know it was, like, this disintegrator thing. I was wondering, you know, what was going on with that. So, well, 
it, it raises questions like what would happen if he accidentally hits the disintegrator instead of the clutch? Well, hopefully there's no one in the back seat. Yeah, right. This is true. And as the segment ends, Harry gets his uh, starring line. He chalks it up as a two-day ride with one hell of a tip. <laughs> right. I always like that line, too. He's like, oh, yeah, and there's a, there's beer in the fridge. Oh, <laughs> I was going to mention it. It's the way he says it. And there's beer in the fridge. Well, where um, else do you keep your beer? <laughs> well, if you live around here, you could probably put it in the backyard for a few hours, but... I will say that there there were there were a couple of scenes that 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 made me like you know there's always a couple of scenes in a film where you just kind of not squirm so much as go ah right and the only times I think this one really did it was was in the Harry Canyon scene I ignoring all the naked and stuff like that just that sandwich looked gross Oh yeah. Well, right. What in the world was that all about? Yeah. That and the the scene with the cigar. It's like, oh. My only my only complaint with this segment is it has one of the worst songs on the soundtrack. Which Open one? Arms by Journey. Ah, no way, man. I got good memories of that song. Well, it's not a bad song. In my yeah. opinion, it's the worst song on the soundtrack. Doesn't mean it's a bad song. Okay, but now you got to remember this. Uh, that was the song on the soundtrack that we used to torture uh, somebody uh, uh, going to Gen Con 1995 because he made some stupid comments about it. Yep. <laughs> we can talk about that later if you want, but that, that, that one, still abuses me. They also, I know, have the uh, Stevie Nicks Blue Lamp song. I think when... Harry, yep. when Harry brings her into the police station, you can hear yeah, it, but it's mixed like real quiet. I actually like that song. I do. Um, yeah, that's a good song. And when when we first saw the movie, I thought the lamest song on, on, on it was the Donald Fagan song. The, he was the guy from Steely Dan, the true companion. And the more I listen to it, the more the older I get. It's like, no, 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 that was that was a good good tune. Nice and. And I'd have to say this segment actually has my favorite song on the soundtrack, Veteran of the Psychic Wars by Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. But mine too. Just how that worked. How good. I that love that song. Yeah. Um, that song was co-written. The lyrics were co-written by Michael Moorcock, who, if if in case you don't know, um, was the creator of the uh, Elric saga. So then the next segment is probably my favorite segment overall, Den. And this one, as we were saying before, yeah, he was actually a, a long-running character in the, 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 the magazine. So Den is actually, his real name is David Ellis Norman. And he's a nerdy kid who finds a green meteorite in his backyard. So he's doing an experiment and then... Because of a bolt of lightning, it transports him to this alternate dimension. And one of the things that made me think about this movie is, uh, Jeff, you have a, on his YouTube channel, has a, a couple videos where he talks about some of the paintings he's done. And it's like, I saw some of them, and it's like, you know, that kind of reminded me of the Den segment on uh, Heavy Metal. Yeah, I was kind of, I was going for that kind of aesthetic, sort of, that kind of um, 60s or 70s style kind of thing that that's what I was going for with that, that kind of 
art style. Okay. Yeah. I, I and I I love that version. Like, to me, this is this is this is this is fantasy, like D and D style fantasy, taken in a direction that was it was never taken to and has never right. been taken to since. This level of just weird psychedelia and it's it's awesome all of the the detail and just the thought that went into everything yeah like if you had like roger dean like work for tsr or something like that and did all in dead art or something you mm. know that kind of, what you always wanted to see in a way <laughs> yeah fortunately for den when he gets transported to this other world he finds out that he is not his nerdy little self anymore but he's this big muscular guy well endowed apparently because he doesn't want to you know he, first thing he does is he didn't want to go hang walking around with my dork hanging out <laughs> yes so of course you know he he shows up in this new world completely naked so the first thing he does is takes a piece of cloth that's hanging from a rod and ties it around to make a, a loincloth so he rescues a woman who he finds out uh her name's Catherine, and uh, she was also from earth or maybe an alternate Earth, because she mentions she's from a British colony. Oh, I think she said Gibraltar. Gibraltar's yeah. still a British Gibraltar. colony. Oh, okay. Maybe she was from a different time, but of course, they plow to. Um, come to think of it, I think a lot, at least half the segments in this sh this movie have someone having sex. <laughs> uh, well, and, and it's just the way that, that Den, who's voiced by John Candy, like the voice kind of going over... You know, she's she's just wiggling around, and you know, she had the most beautiful eyes, and I <laughs> wanted to make some conversation. Yep. So Catherine, though, gets kidnapped by the minions of a man named Ard, who apparently is immortal. He wants the Lochnar, but uh, he it's apparently in the possession of an evil queen. So he sends Den along with his best warriors to go retrieve it. And this is one of my favorite segments where, um, you know, he's trying to play it tough with the guy because he's a pipsqueak. He's like, give me the girl or die. And he's like, well, aren't we fierce? <laughs> guards, castrate him. And then he beats up all the, you know, all the, the guards and he steals a gun from one of them, you know, shoots Ard several times. He heals right away and he's like, well, you are worthy to serve me. And you can see why they made this guy as a leader. Yep. <laughs> I liked Ard. I thought he was a great villain. Yeah, yeah. It's funny too when they're fighting over the Lochner. It's my Lochner. No, yeah. it's mine. It's my Lochner. <laughs> no, it's mine. It's mine. Yeah, because eventually they do sneak. My Lochner. <laughs> yeah, because what happens is, uh, Dan and these warriors they sneak into the the evil queen's castle. Uh, they get split up, and this is another one of my favorite lines from this segment. The queen seduces Den. And, well, I don't know if she really seduced him, but they, they have sex. And he's like, wow, twice in one day. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the other one, where she's she's talking about this is a cascade, and he, my love. And he goes, I had no idea what she was talking about. Yeah. No, I just remember, like I said, I just remember the part, wow, I would never, you know, I would never get a woman like this back home. It's like, here, twice in one day. Oh, I kind of like the the what he calls them the monkey people. Yeah. So they uh, eventually they find he finds out that uh, Ard has the Lochnar and he's going to sacrifice Catherine to it. But 
Of course, he uses his strength and intelligence to uh, to defeat the the opponents, and he eventually, yeah, he uh, as he takes a spear and throws it into the stone, which causes lightning to strike it, and then that teleports uh, the queen and Ard somewhere else. I, I, I gotta throw this out there. Anyone else find it slightly amusing that Den seemed to have absolutely no regard for his, his, his mother? Because he goes, boy, won't mom be surprised? It's like, uh, man, they're evil. You don't, you're not a little concerned about your mom? What's the deal? <laughs> yeah, but that the whole segment, I would say animation-wise, that's my favorite. Story-wise, it would be Tarna, but animation-wise... Oh, yeah. I, I would say the dense segment, just how they did the skies, all that, mm-hmm. that swirly look. I really like that. I really like how they how they did it. So I think it's the most psychedelic of Me the too. segments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like about it is it just this is why I like Den as a character, because at the end of the segment, um, he, you know, Catherine suggests he take the Lochnar and use it to, mm-hmm. you know, to to rule over these people. But he refuses it. So. The Loch Nair then flies off into the sky and goes into the next segment, which is on a space station. And this segment is called Captain Stern. We find out that Captain Lincoln F. Stern is on trial for various charges, uh, including 12 counts of murder on the first degree, 14 counts of armed theft of Federation property, 22 counts of piracy in high space, 18 counts of fraud, 37 counts of rape, and one moving violation. <laughs> that part amuses me. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares about all the murder and rape? We gotta gotta get that moving violation in there. And, and what? And what music was? Was that the Eagles that was in that? Or no, this one was okay. the ch- the Cheap Trick song. Reach oh, out. Okay. So of course, uh, Stern's lawyer keeps telling him to plead guilty because the best he could hope for would be to be buried in secret so his grave doesn't get violated. But Stern insists he has an angle. Charlie, the witness, and he, and this is another one of my favorite parts of the movie where uh, Charlie's playing with the Lochnar and he keeps talking about how great Captain Stern is and how he's an overflowing cup of the cream of the milk of human goodness and then the Lochnar takes over and he gets all tough for a moment. Unless you count all that time he... Unless you count all those times that he just sold dope disguised as a nun. Or wait, I'm sorry. Um, Hanover <laughs> mm-hmm. Fist is the name of the... Hanover the Fist, yeah. yeah. Charlie was the uh, lawyer. Yeah. So the trial goes on and then Hanover hulks out and starts chasing him through the space station. And then that's the cheap trick, or the cheap trick song, right? Yep, correct. So then finally Stern says, okay, I guess you had it coming, and he gives him the, uh, you know, he gives him the money, and then, you know, Hanover reverts to his normal self. However, a trap door opens, Stern opens a trap door below him, ejecting him out into space, and we see Hanover's hand flying through the space with the Lochnar still in it. Yeah. The next segment is B-17, but there was actually a deleted scene that was partly animated, that would have gone be- between Captain Stern and B-17. Uh, it would have been called Neverwhere Land. And in this segment, we see the Lochnar landing on a planet, and it shows the evolution of, you know, things killing each other, and then it shows people evolving and killing each other. So again, it's supposed to give you the 
the impression that the Loch Nahr is responsible for all the evil that we see on Earth. And the original, the original plan was to have it set to the, the beginning part of Pink Floyd's song, Time. Mm-hmm. Which I could have seen working as far as the music. I think so. You yeah. know, that was a really powerful segment, even in its kind of rough form. Oh, yeah. Um, and and kind of creepy, too, which is why I liked it. Now, Jeff, have you seen the Nowhere segment? The Nowhere I, Land I segment? actually haven't because I, I didn't see like the uh, I think it was the VHS had it. And I know I think the DVD had it as like a bonus. But I, I've heard of it. I just I haven't seen it. The versions I've seen never had it on. Yeah, the VHS copy, which I don't know if I still have. I know mine had it was the anniversary edition and it had it at the end. And then the again, the DVD had that segment as well. Yeah, I had the VHS one and it was after it. And then, yeah, the DVD does, too. I don't know if the Blu-ray does. I My DVD still works. I imagine it probably would. If it Has this movie been released on Blu-ray? I would I would think so. Well, the next segment is, in my opinion, probably the creepiest segment of the movie, and that's because I have a fond memory of it. Back when I was in, uh, back when I was in like mid, no, I think this was my junior year in high school, because mm-hmm. um, I know it was like right before I it was it wasn't long before I went to college, and do you remember the USA Network how they used to have a show called Up All Night? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, where they had it on Friday and Saturday, where I think Friday was hosted by Gilbert Gottfried, and yeah. uh, Saturday, I think, was hosted by a woman named Rhonda. And they would, you know, they would usually show three movies in it. And though I remember this evening, I don't think they actually had a a host for this one, but they were showing anime. So I remember they showed Vampire Hunter D. Actually, they sh- first they showed Heavy Metal, then they showed Vampire Hunter D, and then they showed another one called Robot Carnival. And I remember taping all three of them that night. Now, I remember this segment so clearly because it was late at night, so I was kind of nodding in and out. And I remember falling asleep sometime during um, the the Stern segment. And then I remember waking up with the B-17 as all the zombies were attacking. So yeah, yeah, when you're watching the B-17 segment and when you're half asleep, it's scary. Right, yeah. (laughs) So this segment takes place during World War II. Uh, It's called B-17 because there's a B-17 bomber that's making a, a bombing run, but it's suffering heavy damage. And as the song, um, Taking a Ride on Heavy Metal is playing, you see the plane gets shot up and the most of the crew member dies except for the two pilots. So one of the pilots goes back to check on the crew and he notices everyone is dead, but then the Loch Nahr appears and reanimates them as zombies. So as he's trying to get away, um, he, you know, the, the other pilot opens the door and sees these zombies closes it, and then he abandons ship. Where he lands on an island, and you'd think he'd be safe, but that's when you notice the that the there's all these ruins of, like, planes, and I think there's some tanks on there as well, but mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of planes on the, the island, and then all the, the zombies start rising from the... Uh, rising from the different wrecks of the planes. 
Yeah, I remember finding that a kind of a creepy scene too. You know, yeah, when I but, saw that. Yeah, but it was a it was a good that that whole thing was a good segue to the next one because all of a sudden it goes to like a computer type screen and then it just goes on to the next part. But the animation in there was really tight. Yeah, that segment is just so much creepier if you're half asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of like, uh, kind of like the Banana Splits show at three in the morning. <laughs> I have never seen the Banana Splits at three. I actually don't think I've seen them at all, let alone at three in the morning. I, the, okay, so the, about that though, yeah. The Cartoon Network used to show that at like two, three in the morning, and when Jeff and I roomed together, I I think I fell asleep with the TV on. I wake up and there's the Banana Splits playing, right. and it was creepy as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the next segment, so beautiful, so dangerous. So in this segment, we see a scientist at the Pentagon where they're concerned about uh, mutations that have been plaguing the United States. And at this meeting, the doctor dismisses the occurrences, saying that he doesn't think aliens are real. And there's mm -hmm. a, a woman who's, you know, taking notes. And we see she has a familiar looking green stone on her locket. Then all of a sudden, the doctor starts to act kind of strangely and tries to sexually assault her. So this is when a starship appears out of the sky and drills a hole through the roof and sucks out the doctor and Gloria, the woman who was taking the notes. So I find out that the, the doctor was actually a robot of some kind. And, you know, of course they're complaining about how they have to fix it. And then the, of course the robot decides to uh, make a play for Gloria <laughs> It, this is one of the, I think the the pure pure comedy. This is the one like really yeah. pure comedy uh, segments. Um, yeah. Again, you, you'll recognize John Candy as as the robot, and one of the aliens is is Harold Ramis from Ghostbusters. Yeah. And there's the 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 drug scene, which actually the animation in that drug scene is pretty neat too. Oh, was yeah. it Plutonium Nyborg? Was that? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and um. And there were a lot of the songs were in this one. I know Sammy Hagar was in this one. Uh, Trust was in this one. Another um, Cheap Trick song. The, the other Cheap Trick song. The uh, Grand Funk Railroad track, which is one of my favorite Grand Funk Railroad tracks. Yeah. The the Sammy Hagar one, though, I really liked. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would the Chicago rock radio station, The Loop, would play that all the time. And that always made me remember that. Mm -hmm. You know, just... Really good song, you know, heavy metal. There's probably oh, sure. one of my, along with the Blue Oyster Cult, the Black Sabbath, it would also be that song, too. Yeah, it was my favorites. They really. still, like, even a couple of weeks ago, I, I mean, I, you still hear that, the, the Sammy Hagar heavy metal on, on the radio up here on WAPL. So, yeah. yeah. The fab, the song, uh, the Trust song, Prefabricated, was pretty cool, too. Mm hmm. Yeah, they had like a new wave of British heavy metal sound to it, I thought. Yeah. Listen to it, yeah. Which they were a French band, but they came around around the same time. Anthrax was a big fan of Trust. So Gloria and the robot, they, of course, have sex. And <laughs> I, again, I just love the scripting here where it's like, yeah, it's okay. Lots of women feel guilty when they have sex, you know, machine-aided sex. <laughs> I'm just afraid I'm gonna find I'm gonna come home and find you screwing the toaster. Oh, like, yeah, right, trust yeah. me. 
then after the two aliens drop off the robot and the and Gloria, you know, they're flying home. And yeah, that's when they have the plutonium Nyborg. And I just love the, again, the dialogue here is great. It's like, hey, man, are you okay to fly this thing? Look, man, if there's one thing I know how to do, it's fly well stoned. It's like, you know, your perspective's f***ed, so you just got to let your hands work the controls. Yeah, I thought that really had kind of like, you know, that element of like buddy genre kind of in it, you know, mm-hmm. like Canadian buddy genre or, you know, Cheech and Chung. That that really, that's what I really thought of when I first saw that. I'd watch a whole movie of those two guys. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if those guys yeah. actually had their own series because, yeah, I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah. Well, this yeah. brings us to probably what was, the, I imagine, the most expensive and time-consuming segment to film, and that's Tarna. So this one, the Loch Nahr, uh forces the girl to gaze into the far future as it's about to destroy civilization. So we see the Loch Nahr land in a volcano where it mutates people, and they start destroying uh, anything in their path, and they go to this one city where these elders are trying to summon the last of the uh, Tarakins. I think that's how it's pronounced. Tarakians? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, they're all killed, but uh, Tarna does answer the summons. And this is where we see, again, these beautiful, you know, rotoscope features as she, you know, jumps into this pool, swims across, and gets her armor and stuff on. And then she goes to fly. She flies off to try to find these, you know, these mutants. This and, might be one of the most gratuitous. Like, y- you know why they put this one last? Because, like, this is the one where they had, like, the most, like, blatant nudity and the most graphic gore. Like, when that kid gets shot with the, with oh, the right. bolt gun. Oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. that was a brutal scene. Yeah. yeah, I mean they. I mean you could have just subtitled this whole scene, you know, titties and blood. <laughs> this is the one. This is the scene. You, you, it's real quiet, and you can barely hear. It, but this is where they do the Black Sabbath song, "Mob Rules." Actually, the funny thing is, is they play the what's on the album, the song that comes before it, which is an instrumental called E fifty one fifty but that's not on the soundtrack. It doesn't need to be, to be honest. It was just creepy sound effects. There was another song that didn't appear on the soundtrack, um, Through Being Cool by Devo, yep. uh, where there's a scene where um, she goes into a, Tarna goes into a bar, and there's this band playing these really weird instruments, and that's the song they're playing in this one. Yeah, I think they were even kind of drawn to look a little bit like Devo. Yeah. Uh, I have actually, you know what? I ended up buying like a Devo Greatest Hits package just because I wanted a copy of Through Being Cool and and because I wanted a copy of Giacomo. But, you know. Did, did you know, though, with the Sabbath, did you know with the instrumental, was that Jeff Nichols doing that or the it unofficial member of Sabbath? <laughs> yeah, it had to have been. And they called it, the, the, the track was called E5150 because you could translate the numbers to uh, a v, five as a V, one as an I, and 50 as an L. So E-V-I-L. Oh, okay. I didn't ah. realize that. Yeah, huh, I never realized it. 
Yeah, so again, this is definitely the most action-oriented, as, as, as uh, well as violent segment, but... Uh, and yeah, and then there's this one scene that was difficult to watch where, uh, you know, Tarna and her her mount get captured and uh, they're about to try to torture uh, her. The leader mm. of these mutants is like gets his whips and again tries to, you know, beat her up. But she eventually escapes and then her mount uh, manages to escape as well. And they just they fly into the Loch Nair, destroying it. So this brings us back to the. Uh, back to the present day, where the story ends with the Lochnar exploding and the mansion just exploding as well. And we see that the girl manages to escape the house and she has become apparently the new Tarkanian because her hair changes white. Uh, the We see the mark on her neck and then the, you know, of course, the, the bird flies out of the sky and takes her off in somewhere. And they so, end with more Devo. Yeah, working in a coal mine. <laughs> right. So, Heavy Metal. Again, one of my, still one of my favorite movies. I just have so many fond memories from watching it. Uh, not only just the original version, but one of the things I do like about it is even the censored versions still hold up. Uh, because even if you take away the violence and the nudity, you still have a pretty good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it does. Awesome soundtrack. Yeah. I know there was a joke that some people had that if they ever made a censored version or before they did, it would be like 16 minutes long. But, you know, that wasn't the case. It's still um, held, held up. It's still. As it, the only thing is, is that the soundtrack, believe it or not, it was the reason that it took almost 15 years for it to show up on home video. Because right. they the producers only secured the rights to the songs for the theatrical release. And they never thought about the home video sales. So they had to go back to all these groups and try to renegotiate. Yeah. And I've heard that's actually a fairly common in, in the entertainment industry where, yeah, they'll, they'll only think to license it for the theatrical release. And they don't think anything about home video or, you know, somewhere down the line. And then in the worst case scenario, sometimes they're not able to, they're not able to get the licensing rights again because, you know, probably because the, the artist wanted more money than they were Mm -hmm. willing to pay. So they have to sub some other music in there, which doesn't always work. Uh, And that's common with television programs when they started releasing them on DVD. I know that there was some changes, like they had some licensed music in Cheers that they had to remove in the DVD versions. And even some of the some of the seasons of Married with Children that made it onto DVD, they had to remove the Sinatra song because yeah. they hadn't secured the rights for home video releases. So we all agree that not only is it an enjoyable movie, but excellent soundtrack as well. So if you had to choose your three favorite songs from this movie and its soundtrack what would they be veteran of the psychic wars heavy metal and i would also have to say the mob rules and another thing i wanted to add though i guess from what i had heard too with the songs blue easter cult was going to have another one in it weren't they going to have like the pact i think oh vengeance the pact it's vengeance the pact yeah but they thought that seemed too much like the segment so they thought it was a giant spoiler. Yeah. Um, 
but they put it on their Fire of Unknown Origin album. Right. Um, and it's a great song if you ever get a chance to listen to it. Yeah. What about you, Dan? What are your three favorite songs on this album? Well, I don't know. I got to choose. Um, <laughs> Veteran of the Psychic Wars would probably still be number one. Um, and I, I I love the song The Mob Rules, but since it's on the, it's on the, the album, I, I, I don't include it. Um, I would probably go with um, Reach Out by Cheap Trick and maybe Blue Light by Stevie Nicks. I thought it, where it wasn't, it was, or Blue Lamp, yeah. It, it, you know, it wasn't a traditional heavy metal song, but it really, really fit the, the vibe. Yeah. Although Queen B by uh, uh, Grand Funk Railroad is also up there. And I would agree with you that um, Veteran of the Psychic Wars is probably my favorite because even, I mean, the, just the lyrics of the song, even though it doesn't really have much to do with the movie, it's just a really awesome song with really well done lyrics. Uh, I would have to say my second favorite is actually the Stevie Nicks song, Blue Lamp. And then for the third, again, it's a tough choice, but I would probably have to say that, believe it or not, True Companion, I actually... Again, as as you were saying before, Dan, it's one of those songs where I think sometimes you have to listen to a few times before you truly appreciate it. And that is something, especially at that age, when I finally got the the, the, the videotape and I finally got a copy of the soundtrack because it was released on the CD. You know, that's that age where, you know, damn it, I don't want to give other things a try. I, I you know. Well, that was like '95, I think. Yeah. The CD came out, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember, I think, when you got it around that mm. time. Yeah. yeah. Actually, another song I really liked on there that, uh, even though it's not what I usually listen to, All of You, just because it has this really good oh. bass part where it goes, that, you know, gets worked that, in there. It, it almost sounds like a slap bass, but it's not slap bass. Yeah. I like that, too. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That was during the, the, the psychedelic uh, drug yeah. scene. And it fit for that part of the it fit for that part of the movie. It, it, Don Felder, who was the eagle who played those two tracks, he did that one and then Taken a Ride in Heavy Metal. You know, he was originally with the Eagles, and you can definitely hear the Eagles when you hear those two tracks. That's like, yeah, Don Felder. Yeah. yeah, and much like Stevie Nicks and and Journey, you know, they they weren't part of the genre, but it really worked, and you know, people. Maybe maybe we got to remember this is more about, you know, just because that's the name of the magazine didn't mean that it was going to focus on heavy music. It just happened to have a lot of great heavy music. Well, and I would imagine it's like whenever you are making a soundtrack for something, I mean, part of it is you have to choose what music is going to be appropriate for the scene. I mean, like, obviously, the, you know, the scene where, like, all of you where they're flying and they're all psychic, you know, they're all stoned and stuff, you know, some hard rocking piece like, you know, the mob rules wouldn't have worked in that particular segment. Or like that really cool uh, Nazareth track. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. I think we're going to call this episode to a close. So I'd like to thank uh, Dan and Jeff here for joining me. And uh, so first, Dan, I know we've mentioned uh, Radio Free Borderlands many 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 times in the show yeah if people want to check out radio free borderlands where can they find it 
Well, I want to say something else before, so I'm just going to go the easy, quick way and say Google it. And Jeff, uh, now we did mention your YouTube channel, uh, so why don't you tell the audience where they can find your YouTube channel and what type of things you make videos on? Yeah, so if you want to find my YouTube channel, it's Corm1000, C-O-R-M-1000, and so far it's it's pretty much been like a multi-topic channel. I make videos kind of on what I'm interested in at the moment, so number of different things, anything from metal to pro wrestling to you know various other topics. So yeah, and I know you've uh, you've had a couple of uh, videos, actually I think more than a couple, but you've had some videos like where you did a little bit of you talked a little bit about areas that were supposedly haunted. Like you had that one where you were talking about batch. Actually, you've had a couple on Bachelors Grove Cemetery, and then I know one that I thought was interesting is there that cave in the rock along that river. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That I was going to mention that one to you, but yeah. And another one I liked is when you did that episode on Brawl for All for the WWE. Yeah, Brawl for All. Uh, recently, I did one on Mad Max Two. And I also did one as well recently, kind of a rest in peace video on Eddie Van Halen and Leslie West. And I also get on a little bit of the L.A. metal scene of the 1970s. You know, it's kind of like you had a 60s scene and then you had there was another scene in there, like a 70s metal scene. Then you had a, uh, you know, the, the 80s glam metal scene that everyone knows of. So talk about that stuff. But like mm -hmm. I said, multi-topic channel yeah well i'd like to thank you all for listening and of course once again I'd like to thank my good buddies dan and jeff for joining me today and thanks again for tuning in and y'all have a wonderful day you have been listening to a presentation of eclectic media podcasts visit our website at www.eclecticmediaproject.com and check out our publishing arm at www.poigamestudio.com Find us on Twitter Scott at EMP underscore Scott Al at POI Game Studio and Chad at Chad EMP you can also find Eclectic Media Project and Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook as well. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to bringing you more entertaining and thought-provoking content.